another episode of Beckett's Babies. We're your hosts, Sam Collier. And Sarah Cho. And today we are going to be talking about words of wisdom and inspiration from writers who have gone before us on this crazy journey. Um, so we have some tips and some essays and articles we'd like to share with you for those days when you're just really feeling stuck or envious of other writers. <laughs> uh, yeah, envious. Um, let's unpack that just a moment. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, I think for sure we get anxious. I get, I for sure I get anxious because, you know, all of my peers are on social media and, you know, maybe a peer wins some fellowship or they're going to write on a TV show or their plays being produced all around the world. I mean, it's so easy to get into that really dangerous place of mind <laughs> where mm-hmm. you start judging yourself and comparing yourself to other people. And so when I find myself in that place, one, get off social media is a good thing. <laughs> just get <laughs> off of it. Yeah, um, but I also, sure. but I also love just reading these books on writing or essays on writing um, cause I start to feel like I, I'm not, I'm possibly not the only one in this entire world that's feeling like this. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Because every other writer in the history of the world has felt like this, I think. Although listeners, if you're, if you happen to be one of those rare divine beings that, um, has never felt this way, please tell us. Wait, Sam, real quick. Yeah. Can you hear my window? The yeah. shutter. <laughs> yeah. God. I'm gonna, hold on. I'm going to close it. Now we can really hear it. <laughs> All right. I'll edit that out. <laughs> <laughs> I think we should keep it in. We should keep it in? All right. Listeners, special treat. <laughs> Me closing my window. I just had a thought. This could mm-hmm. end up being a tangent. But as you were talking about, like, you know, that feeling of, oh, this person wins this fellowship or this person is producer, this thing, you know, this person gets this thing. I was thinking, you know, and then so often we feel like, oh, why isn't it me, you know? And Mm -hmm. I was thinking like all of that, all of those um, opportunities kind of are part of the system, I think, in the theater right now where we have this like focus on the individual artist and the individual writer being um, kind of highlighted and celebrated and and praised and and then it, the spotlight kind of moves on to the next person and I don't know I I just for a moment was thinking like why does it have to be that way you know why isn't there maybe there's another way. Um, to, I don't even know if this would be a whole overhaul of the American theater, but maybe there's another way to kind of highlight um, communities of artists or groups of people 
or focus more on kinds of work or something. Oh, you mean looking at groups of work? Instead of like- I don't even really know what I'm what I'm speaking towards. I'm just having this thought that um, it feels like there's this emphasis on the individual artist, mm-hmm. which is able to keep replenishing this new kind of energy and buzz because the way to do that is to just pick a new artist to celebrate from season to season and and moment to moment. And that really thrives on social media, I think. But that's not the only way to create exciting and sustainable work. I have no answers. That's just one big question that I'm pondering. Because especially with social media, it's so much a self-branding too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so when we're in that state of just, you know, oh, marketing that way, it, yeah, it, I could imagine that shaping how season to season, the celebrating of like a singular person could kind of take over i don't know yeah i could yeah i I don't know i feel like it's uh, it it can't be changed what's done is done (laughs) yeah maybe you're right so then sarah what do we do when Mm -hmm. we feel stuck or judge ourselves what do you do how do you find inspiration to keep writing and creating um i think i mentioned this on the show but i really like want to just involve myself doing other things and on the Instagram someone had asked this question and I replied you know I love to go hiking and doing yoga and doing like more like physical things so Mm -hmm. I'm not like cooped up in my room I try to because it's so easy for me to just be in my room and never leave and just like I'm such an introvert (laughs) but I when I force myself to like go out um and I feel like that's when my like my mind just starts like wandering and like getting ideas starts getting pulled and um but yeah that's for me just get outside just yeah that's a big one what about you? Well fortunately I have a dog so whether I want to or not (laughs) I have to go outside yeah. Multiple times a day for extended periods of time. Um, so, and often, you know, it's like I've had this moment so many times where I, I finally, you know, clean the kitchen. I've made dinner. I ate dinner. I cleaned, put everything away. I'm feeling really ready. You know, I sit down. I write one sentence. And then all of a sudden my dog is like, let's go for a walk right now, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so... I've I've come to f- find that I if I can um if I can go outside with a question in my mind not that mm. I'm necessarily like actively trying to solve that question but um the, the my mind continues to work when I'm walking the dog or gardening or hiking in the woods or mm. you know um just kind of moving around outside. And then when I come back and sit down again at the computer, I feel like I've moved forward in some way. And so 
I think I think that does help me to get unstuck. And also, yeah, I mean, I think s- social media is is like the bane of creativity. Mm-hmm. Um, so I find that just like putting my phone in another room and putting it on silent and moving away from <laughs> from it and getting into the real physical, tangible world mm-hmm. helps me unlock. My ideas too. Uh, And there was this, I think it was on New York Times about phones, uh, that every time you like go on your phone or look on things online or you're on social, you're actually uh, losing like years of your, on your life. Really? (laughs) Yeah. It was like horrifying. Um, Oh my God. Part of me was like, well, you know, it's too late. I'm like way f- too deep and <laughs> I can't get out. <laughs> you resigned to your fate? Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, with that said, um, on our Instagram, uh, Taylor Stewart, uh, she sent us some interesting, uh, like a doc of list of um, – pieces of advice pieces of advice from like writers that was kind of collected is what it seems from dramatist guild mm-hmm. are you a member sam no no i think i was <laughs> um, and then it lapsed like a year or something um and so i'll just like, pull some and then let me know if you agree or disagree sam okay or, okay. or if any of yeah. these or any of these resonate with you, or would you do it yourself too? Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, write a letter to your future self. Your older self eventually answers. Okay, so this is something I've done. Mm. Um, I think I've done it multiple times, but the but I really only remember one time, which was the most recent time, which I wrote myself a letter. I think I wrote it in um, twenty fifteen on my birthday to myself a year from then. And it was really, it was an interesting experience because I I put it in an envelope and I sealed it and I didn't look at it again for a year. And I don't know that I have really anything profound to say about it, except that this is making me want to do it again. (laughs) Um, When I was a kid, I think I, not something similar, but you know, when you're like, do those like time machine boxes you put stuff in oh uh-huh. time capsules time capsules yes and then like i buried it i just remember i was like i'm not gonna look at it i think i was like eight or nine i'm like i'm not gonna look at it until i'm in college or i turned 21 something Whoa. like really and i remember opening and i finding it and we had moved a few times uh my family and i like found the box and like opened it and it was nothing helpful there's nothing there to say you know it's like okay well sarah at age eight was really into fake lizards like she was really it was just like full a box full of lizards um really gross she was weird and i think there were a couple dead roly-polies in there too (laughs) (laughs) so um anyways i'm sure it'll inspire me on some writing that sounds like it could be part of a play a box of fake lizards and dead roly polies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, here's another one. Give yourself permission to do the thing you're most afraid to do. 
Give yourself permission to dream big. I like this advice. Mm. I think um, I in in the the plays that I've written where I kind of go big or go home, you know, like just try to um, because we always start out with these limits in our minds. I think of what's possible to do in a play, whether we're aware of it or not, and if I think about the plays where I went beyond what I thought was possible at the beginning of the play, those are the ones I think where um, I was really challenging myself to grow as a writer mm. and where the the work ultimately was bigger than I could have um, thought through logically at the beginning of the writing process. So mm. what about it- you? Yeah. Um, well, I was like looking at the next bullet point, which is take a break from projects to let your mind mm-hmm. clear. And I do that by doing something <laughs> like doing something I'm afraid to do or yeah. something um, just just something really just different. Like um, I'm trying to think of an example. I guess like the, the one moment I just like I'm thinking about right now is just like doing stand up. You know, like oh. never done it. And every time I feel stuck in my own work and writing or other things, for some reason, once in a while, I'll just like find a, an open mic and just go to it, you know, sitting there for like three hours <laughs> till it's your turn and you get up and it's like really weird, gross. It's dark. You don't know who it is. sounds in the terrifying. Room. It's terrifying. And then I do five was it three to five minutes, something really short? Like there's just something about like, I'm waiting for my turn and then I go up and I bomb. Maybe I, there was something, <laughs> one thing I said that was got a chuckle and there's just something about that experience. I'm like, okay, I could go back to writing now. <laughs> 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 Nothing could be worse than this. <laughs> wow. Yes, I, I feel like I am sort of the same person. I need to put myself in the weird self mental torture for some reason. Like, <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know why. It, maybe it frees something up in your creativity. Yeah. Somehow. Or at least, like, maybe if you're facing your fear, then that gets rid of your writer's block because, you know, it's like, I think often writer's block is really about fear. And so if you've just had this experience where you've overcome a fear, mm-hmm. then what do you have to lose on the page? Right. Yeah. I don't know. I like this one that says, if you're having a hard time with a particular scene, pretend you're someone else writing it. Whoa. That's really cool. Because, I mean, yeah, why not? We, I, I think we get trapped in our ideas of who we are as writers. So... Just pretend you're a different person. Have you ever done that? No, not. I mean, I find myself being another character as I'm writing those characters. Mm-hmm. But like, what would Sarah's mom like? What? How would she write this? <laughs> or like, what if you sat down and you're like, I'm going to pretend I'm Sam Shepard as I write my next play. Oh, my goodness. Uh, I tried that. <laughs> And it worked. I became the most successful person (laughs) in the country. 
No, I no. I think that's a really cool. I idea. like that a lot. Yeah. Or you could pretend you're someone who's not a writer, like mm. your mom. Yeah. Or I don't know. Like there's a, a so doctor. Many people to choose from. Your a doctor, doctor um, a politician, your cat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, that's cool. I like this last one. Get drunk with friends, walk home at night. <laughs> <laughs> what do you like about that one? Um, just, just so straightforward and easy and fun, and um, yeah, the walk home at night. <laughs> you're just mm-hmm. like when you're. Um, that's. That's a good, especially I love when I'm with friends and like we're just walking somewhere and we're just like spitballing ideas. There's mm-hmm. just something about that where you're, <laughs> because when you're like walking, you're sort of forced in that pace, <laughs> right? That walk. And so that you're like really like slowing down in a way. That's, that's where I feel like ideas could start churning. Well, and it's a good reminder to all your writers that you have to s- live your life sometimes too mm. and go spend time with your friends, not spend all your time shut up in your room writing. True. True. Uh, <laughs> there's some writers who are like that. Nope. Not for me. <laughs> I want no to friends. Be, no friends. I want to be alone in my room. That's kind of me sometimes, for sure. Um, well, cool. Well, I want to share. Um, a couple of years ago, this was circulating around the internet. Um, this is an image on the back of a notebook that Octavia Butler, the novelist, sci-fi writer, um, that she wrote in 1988. And she wrote on the back of this notebook this, like, manifesto to herself about what an amazing and successful writer she was going to be. So here are some of the things she wrote. My novels will go on to the above. So she names all these bestseller lists and she says, my novels will go on to the above list whether publishers push them hard or not, whether I'm paid a high advance or not. Whether I ever win another award or not, this is my life. I write best-selling novels. My novels go onto the bestseller list or, on sh- or bestseller lists on or shortly after publication. My novels each travel up to the top of the bestseller list, and they reach the top, and they stay on top for months, at least two. My books will be read by millions of people. I will buy a beautiful home in an excellent neighborhood. And she, then she keeps repeating this thing, so be it, see to it. So we'll share this picture so you all can mm-hmm. look at how amazing it is. But um, she, it was really striking to me because she wrote this, I think, before she had had um, much of this success. And she was kind – it's almost like a spell or a um, – I don't know. Like she's – She's making this true by the first step to make it true is write it down and say it out loud and say, this is what I want. Mm -hmm. And she's kind of calling it into reality. Yeah. Yeah. There's something about that. You, you, where you sort of, cause 
as you read it, it's like she's like shouting it out to the universe. Like there's yeah. something about like throwing it out there into the universe for the for the universe to to hear. Um, it reminded and this reminds me of um, oh, what is the book is by Elizabeth Gilbert. I think she wrote um, "Eat, Pray, Love." Mm-hmm. It's called. I think it's like big called "Big Magic." Um, but to sum it up, that book is just how we into this universe. There's just something that's sort of working with us that we're not aware of, and like Ooh, as so like yeah, it's like like when you start noticing things um, like is it serendipitous or was it meant to be, you know, like you start noticing these things and she, mm-hmm. it's like, there's a lot about it where it just feels like if you like, just let the universe know whatever that may be to someone's God or to someone might be like the nature or, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. There's something that, uh, something like spiritual is working with us, you know? And it gives you a vision of what you're working towards because mm-hmm. so often I think we we get trapped in this mentality of what everybody else has, mm-hmm. as you were saying earlier, what everybody else has and we judge ourselves. And so you've got to be able to hold this vision of what you are aiming for mm-hmm. like in front of your eyes so that you can look towards that thing instead of at social media. <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> and not like trapping yourself into those negative thoughts, but mm-hmm. uh, looking to. Yeah. Not going to lie, like I I fall into that trap all the time. Me too. Yeah. Um but that's why this kind of thing is so inspiring because mm-hmm. because she she wrote this when you know she hadn't gotten that much recognition and then she would go on to get so much recognition and so Sarah what um what other pieces of writing inspire mm-hmm. you you know, every beginning of the year <laughs> is, you know, when it's a new, the year is anew and you're kind of feeling refreshed and like I take that time, that opportunity to always try to refresh my goals as a writer, mm-hmm. kind of like, okay, what is it I'm looking to and what am I working towards? Um, and so I, one of the books I had read a couple of years ago was writing down the bones by Natalie Goldberg. And I came across that because I took this um, memoir writing workshop, like a day workshop. And I was like in this writing circle with these older women. <laughs> They're like, I'm like, I was I like, I felt like I did not belong there because everyone was just kind of looked really like older and established <laughs> Mm-hmm. so um but well it was a memoir writing i know it, i know whatever so what did you expect uh, i don't know it was it was interesting experience i mean hey talk about doing something you'll never do like afraid to do and i did yeah, it good point good so point. 
<laughs> so, um, and uh, the the person leading the workshop, she mentioned this book, Writing Down the Bones. And a lot of her exercises was inspired by this book. And so when I left that workshop, I said, I'm going to check this book out. And I found this book. And it's Natalie Goldberg just sort of giving all these, like, tools to yeah get yourself out and be unstuck. And then one of my favorite chapters is called Living Twice. And now I'm just going to read the first paragraph. Um, it says, writers live twice. They go along with their regular life, are as fast as anyone in the grocery store, crossing the street, getting dressed for work in the morning. But there's another part of them that they have been training, the one that lives everything a second time, that sits down and sees their life again and goes over it, looks at the texture and details. And so that really mm-hmm. made me think of just, we're as writers, we're experiencing the life. You know, we should be going out. We should be getting drunk with your friends and taking those <laughs> long walks, you know? And then there's that. But as writers, how are we able to like reflect well on that and then putting on the page and there's like putting those details? Like, I don't know. There's something about that. I felt like, yeah, I feel like sometimes maybe my, a lot of my anguish comes from like this. I'm living two worlds right now. Like, Oh yeah. I'm trying to, Right now, I'm, like, planning this crazy wedding that's taking over my life. <laughs> but, like, as a writer in me, like, how do I sort of take that experience, these feelings, and sort of, like, look at it a third person? And how can I use that in my own work? Mm-hmm. You know, have that inspire me. But, yeah, that's what I'm – Do you ever get overwhelmed by that feeling of, like, you know, do I go out and live more or do I just relive what I've already lived – by writing about it because I feel very weighed down by that sometimes you mean like you're not living life enough or well or like in any given moment you can sit down to write Mm -hmm. and relive you know through your writing you can kind of relive the the experiences you've already had Mm -hmm. even if it's fiction or you can not write and just go live more you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's why I feel like writers are we're like our own breed of some kind. Like yeah, it, yeah. There's a reason why some people are drawn to writing more than others. Yeah. Um, and I think for me, it's like writing helps me digest a bit of what's going on, kind of mm-hmm. like because if I'm just like constantly experiencing, I don't know, like I just. I it won't be I won't it won't feel as much importance to me for some reason or it won't yeah like it won't be as meaningful maybe yeah yeah I definitely feel that way um and you know it's not like experiencing I don't know maybe even just being aware what's going on in the world too (laughs) like yeah crazy stuff that's happening in our country and I think writers just kind of more self-aware yeah, I love that book. I can't remember when I first read it, but it's a great book for dipping into over and over again because the chapters are are little mm-hmm. more. Yeah, it's a really good book. I, I and I think it's useful no matter what genre you're working in. Oh too. yeah, totally. Because it's so process oriented mm-hmm. that it it just kind of helps you unlock different parts of your brain. The part I remember is where she talks about that guy who ate the car. Oh, do you remember that chapter? I think so. Yeah, yeah. Why? Why do you remember that? Because <laughs> it's such a I don't weird know, visual. It's just so shocking. Yeah, mm. 
But it's like then then it's like she, this guy ate this car over many many months. Anyway, yeah, it's a good book. Mm-hmm. Do you want to talk about Susan Laurie? Oh yeah. So I also wanted to share this um, essay that Susan Laurie Parks wrote. That's called Elements of Style, or it's called From Elements of Style, which makes me wonder that if maybe there's a longer one out there somewhere. Um, but it's it appears at the beginning of her um, her book, The America Play, and other works. And what I love about it is she kind of sets out this um, philosophy of how she sees theater and how she sees her own work. And I really like using it for teaching because I show it to students and then I ask them to create their own elements of style. Um, And it's full of all these fun diagrams that she uses to illustrate structure or to kind of um, visualize the kinds of things she's talking about. And then she also has some instructions for, you know, what it means when her text appears on the page in a certain way. But there are a couple of things that she, so she has these sections like theater and form and content and time. And there, every time I read it, I'm, I get excited about a different thing. Um, so I'm just going to read a little part of it. This is from the form and content part. She says, playwrights are often encouraged to write two-act plays with traditional linear narratives. These sorts of plays are fine, but we should understand that the form is not merely a docile passive vessel, but an active participant in the sort of play which ultimately inhabits it. Why linear narrative at all? Why choose that shape? If a playwright chooses to tell a dramatic story and realizes that there are essential elements of that story which lead the writing outside the realm of linear narrative, then the play naturally assumes a new shape. I'm saying that the inhabitants of Mars do not look like us, nor should they. And she goes on. Mm. But I just love how um, she's kind of talking her way through her philosophy of the theater in this introduction to her plays. Um, and, and, and asking us to see as a choice a form that I think often tries to pretend it's a default. You know, mm-hmm. there are all kinds of stories, some of which don't fit comfortably into linear narrative. Because I don't think life is really linear narrative. Mm. Aging yeah. is pretty linear. <laughs> well, kind of, but not really. I mean, I wish I could quote this directly, but I'm going to paraphrase. But Virginia Woolf has um, a passage, I think it's in her book Orlando, where she's talking about how. It's kind of like the what you were just reading about writers living twice. She's talking about how nobody lives their life in a linear way from like they're born and then they grow up and then they grow old and then they die. Because in our minds, we're always so many different ages at once. Oh. And we're thinking about, you know, when we were eight and liked fake lizards mm. in the moment when we're 30, you know. 
and and so in our minds we like inhabit all these different times at once and so we don't really live exactly the number of days Mm. that our bodies move through off tangent but do you believe in past lives (laughs) um i i suddenly became very aware that we have a whole audience listening to us um i don't know do you sometimes i think sometimes i believe it and sometimes i don't yeah sometimes i believe it sometimes i don't sometimes i have these like vivid dreams like i'm like i'm like this is not me but it's me and it's like very ultra like specific to a time um and like i see like but then other times it's just probably because i saw a movie um (laughs) but then i just but then yeah and for some reason they said that at different ages and we live through all this time it just made me think of that for some reason here's my question about past lives Uh uh-huh would that mean that there's just a fixed number of lives that keep getting recycled over and over and over or are new lives created and if so does that mean we have a limited number of lives sam's asking the tough question (laughs) Like, could this be my first life and your 24th life? Oh, interesting. But why is how, why do some people have multiple lives know. and some just have a first life? Well, maybe this is just my first one and then I'm going to go on to have many, many more. And then whereas like once you've had a certain number, maybe you have to start like back at the beginning as a bacteria. Yeah. I, but how do I know that's the beginning? Maybe oh. that's the most evolved. Mm-hmm. Form. I think this is. I our, think I don't believe. I think. It. I think this is our most witchiest. Episode. <laughs> this is a very philosophical, witchy um, episode. Yeah, I'd be curious to know, listeners, if you believe in past lives, um, <laughs> and if you think you have one, please let us know. Um, yeah. So we just, you know, quoted couple examples but we have a list and we're going to uh make sure to share it on our episode notes and on the website so you know feel free to check it out and if you have a favorite writing essay um that inspires you feel free to share with us that we were not in a yeah. fit yeah yeah we'd love to check that out mm-hmm. and if you're feeling jealous of other artists or writers go for a walk put down your phone Get out in the sunshine. There's a whole wide world out there. Yeah, sure is. And don't live that life through a screen. Don't do Just it. Don't do Good it. Point. I mean, it's so hard not to, but I grew up with the screen. You know what I mean? Like I, my first email yeah. was like eight years old and I, what did it say? It was, <laughs> I like fake lizards. <laughs> well, no, funny. It was actually, it was like snake cho at yahoo.com, something like that. Oh like, God. I was really snake into cho. lizards and reptiles and snakes for some reason. And I wonder, That's really yeah, funny. I wonder what my past life was that was obsessed with those things. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Like a zoologist or something studied reptile. Well, what's your glisten, Sarah? Glisten. Um, so this week I listened to an episode of um, this podcast, WTF, with Mark Marin. Have you heard of it? 
No. Uh, he's a, the stand-up comedian, and he just, like, interviews actors and writers and but just hot, like prolific people on the show. And this week, it, or last week or so, it was um, the two creators and the star of that Hulu show, Pen15, Anna oh, and yeah. Maya. <laughs> and they're, like, right now, they're my two all-time just favorite people in the entire world. So when I was, like, list, I was, like, so... I was just so excited to listen to them. And one of the things that jumped out at me is that neither of them are comedians. And they wrote the one of the most funniest TV shows in TV history in the most like the last year. You know, like it's like the most hottest show. Yeah. And I was like, they're not comedians. Like, how could they write this such a funny thing? They're not comedians. And they were sharing how they are. You know, they came from the theater and the thing that they studied was like experimental theater and, you know, like rolling around the floor and giving each other massages. Like, <laughs> I was like, oh, I recognize that. Like, I remember that when we were in Iowa, <laughs> like actors rolling around and giving each, other, giving each other massages. Or what about looking into each other's face and saying, <laughs> you're defensive. I'm defensive. You're, you're feeling defensive. I'm feeling defensive. Yes. So you're raising your hand. I'm raising my hand. Right. Oh my god. What what is that? What is that? Meisnering. Yeah, Meisner. Um and they were talking about how, you know, they didn't do improv or sketch comedy, right? And and the, for some reason my mind kind of just blew up. I mean, I love improv and sketch comedy. And I fell into it because, you know, I was reading books and people were like, oh, they were saying a Chicago improv. They were doing this in improv. They're, uh, you know, artists and comedians that I admire. And I was kind of like, okay, well, I'll take a class here and there. And I sort of fell into this, like, sketch improv world. Yeah. And these two did not do any of that. They weren't even in that world and, and they were writing the funniest thing. And then it came down to like, they were just really true to themselves of who they were as people and what they found funny and like what resonated with them that was funny to them. And then, That's so cool. and I was just like, I don't know. I was like, I'm, and I guess I just want to say this to all the listeners out there too, is like, don't listen to us either. Like, don't listen to anybody. Don't listen to, like, yeah, don't follow. Like, don't, just because people did it this one way or groups of people are doing it this other way, like, you don't have to do it. <laughs> don't. Because it yeah. just, I mean, if it, if you think it's helpful or you want to try it and experience it for yourself, that's good. But, like, just don't follow. Because I, I just, I just kind of, thought about like the countless hours I spent like staying up late doing these weird shows one-off shows and improv and I'm like because mm -hmm. this is because I'm working towards something right like I'm working towards comedy in some way right this is how you do it and I was like there's yeah well and there's nothing to say that the way that you've been doing it is wrong no, right so I guess it's just kind of like yeah, I don't know. I was just, I don't know. My mind was just blown. <laughs> like, yeah, that's so cool. Yeah, I want to watch that show. Yeah, you should, it it's pretty crazy. But I don't have Hulu. Oh, I'll give you. I'll give you my password. <laughs> oh, thanks, Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> oh shoot! Now Hulu heard on this, and now they're gonna know that this is how it's done, and <laughs> how people are getting into their accounts. Anyway. 
They're going to come after oh us. Oh, my gosh. Um, well, my glisten is – I can't remember if I talked about this yet. I have to keep a list. But my glisten is I'm reading this book, How to Do Nothing by Jenny O'Dell. Have you heard of her? No, but – She has this new book out. But I've heard that book, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. She's um, an Oakland-based artist, and she is writing about a bunch of different things in this book, um, one of which is how um, the online world and our experiences online kind of rob us of this feeling of groundedness and context in the larger world that we're part of. Um, And so she talks about watching birds and learning to identify birds in the rose garden near her apartment and, um, and how restorative that is. Mm. Um, and, but, but her whole premise is that, you know, we can't just run away from the world as it is. We can't just like isolate ourselves in some, you know, off the grid retreat and turn our backs on the world. We have to stay in the world and, imagine new ways of of living that aren't so harmful so hmm. i'm really enjoying it it's called how to do nothing how to do nothing yeah oh sounds great it's really good <laughs> yeah yeah because i have a problem of doing too much yeah well that's part of what she's talking about it's like this we have this compulsion to mm-hmm be busy and to be productive and to promote ourselves mm-hmm. and 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 there are companies with billions of dollars at stake who have invested huge amounts of money to try to make us feel that way one of the large reasons why i left my um most recent job the one that was working publicity for like 60 hours a week like crazy hours on my oh, way to God. work, I was listening to this podcast and the guest on the show was like, no one says this, but like workaholic is a disease. <laughs> like mm-hmm. everyone, because everyone celebrates it. Like, oh, you're right. That, that we don't see that it's actually like a very harmful thing. And yeah, because like I was working so hard. I was like stressed. I was like stress eating. I was like feeling all this all these emotions I wasn't even writing I was really unhappy I was like in this really horrible emotional state and I was like yeah I have to go <laughs> like yeah and it was the best decision of my life and someone I don't know if I said this on the show or to you or someone I had that had seen me while I was working and then left just like most recently she she came across um we came across each other and she was like hey you look really different I was like what like, yeah like last time I we chatted you just seemed so distant and you were just like always oh, down wow. and you just seem not really there <laughs> but now you seem really engaged and you're like I having eye contact she's just saying like what was going on and I was like yeah well I was like freaking miserable yeah, yeah but it's just so funny that like someone noticed that yeah and to tell me that and I was like okay then I definitely made a right decision if someone started to notice that I just looked not myself well so then now picture like our entire society is in that kind of distracted depressed distant mm-hmm. situation yeah and how much better it would be if 
we all could just quit our jobs. <laughs> yeah. I don't just, know. I'd say this one thing for sure. Not being on your computer or phone before you go to bed is like. Oh, yeah. It made like a huge Good difference. Good points. Um, helpful tips. Helpful tips, you guys. <laughs> That's what we're here for. That's what we're here for. <laughs> um, anyway. All right. All right. Hope you well, feel inspired. Thanks for listening, everybody. Yeah. And don't forget to follow us on social media and like our post, even though we just told you to get off social media. Um, right before you get off, just like us. Yeah. <laughs> but I think more importantly, like we, we've been getting comments about people who were feeling like, oh, I'm doing this thing that no one else seems to be doing, but we found I found your podcast. and Yeah, we love those notes so much. Did, we started doing this so to kind of create that community, you know? Because that's what I missed about yeah. Iowa. At Iowa was like being surrounded by writers and like talking to another writer, or like hearing another writer talk about writing. So that's what I hope that this is for you guys. <laughs> yeah. Me too. Yeah, so keep those comments coming and yeah. We'll see you next we'll week. We'll see you next week. Bye.